The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your host. We certainly want to welcome our podcasters to our message today. We have been continuing on with our series on identity, but we have been covering a subtitle on identity called Terms of Endearment. And a few people contacted me from the state of Florida this week and appreciation of the messages on terms of endearment and how it has really opened their eyes to really what it means to use certain terms that even they were accustomed to uh, using. And that was a reminder to me that it is very critical for us to just slow down, talk about even the terms that we're using as we are talking about the exchange life or the abundant life, or the union life, or whatever term that you are used to using. And we've been on a, a little sub-series, even in that topic, on the power of the cross. And so um, we have a couple more messages left that we are going to be focusing on, just the terminology and the understanding of the, the power of the cross. And so this is number 76 of our series of Terms of Endearment. And just as a reminder, in case you're a brand new uh, listener to our series, this is a mini-series, Terms of Endearment, is a mini-series we'll be devoting, will be devoted to defining, explaining, and practically making use of the biblical terms given to us by our Lord. Now, I know that um, poses a challenge to some uh, theologians who have a um, certain view to how the scriptures unfold and the terms that are used. And that is why I cling to uh, a theologian that I have a great deal of respect for. And those of you who receive our emails receive the articles from this theologian, Jim Fowler. He, he and his work is one of the ones that I trust more than most theologians today. It's not just conservative, but it is keeping and clinging to the original definitions within the scriptures as close as possible for us. So this series is a number... Um, this is number 76 in the series of Identity. And so, Ian, I'd like to have you come and read for us Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 12. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's bur burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then, to reason to boast. and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, not in his neighbor. For each will have his, to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, one, that, would, that will he also reap. 
For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And let each and let us and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. For if we do not give up no, if we do not give up. So then we have the opportunity, let us do so do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. And, and only in order that they may may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Okay, may the Lord bless his word. You may be seated, Ian. One of the most challenging and confusing facts that comes with the power of the cross is, okay, if the power of the cross is truly redemptive, then why does Paul come along and tell the Galatia church of the whole idea of um, consequences of sin and the reaping what you sow and all of the practical elements of of uh, decisions that we make when most who understand the movement of the power of the cross almost bend themselves in the direction of sinless perfection. In other words, it doesn't really matter what you choose to do. So that is a crisis that we're going to have to face as we talk about the power of the cross. There's a, a uh, well, this happens in any movement that God creates and motivates in the body of Christ. The enemy comes along and, and takes a group and spins them off to some extremes. Through those extremes, a a uh, cult chur starts to penetrate the church and move the church away from the truth that was originally to take place in that movement, like the Great Awakening. A lot of Christians today aren't even able to define what America's Great Awakening. A lot of Americans today don't cannot even uh, pull from history that there were two Great Awakenings. There was the first Great Awakening, there was the second Great Awakening. Just so happened in the second Great Awakening, there was a movement that came out of England that, that gave us the title of the Charismatics. Charismatic from the Greek actually means zealous. But that's not what happened through the great, second Great Awakening. The second Great Awakening put the complete emphasis on the Holy Spirit. The church started talking about the Holy Spirit more than they did Jesus. The consequences and results of that is what we're suffering with today, and that is you do not hear the name of Jesus spoken very freely and very often in our society today. Everything's God or everything's the Holy Spirit, and it literally has excluded the name of Jesus which is going to exclude the cross, which is going to exclude the true gospel. So our opening statement on the cross is this today. The stumbling block, the scandal, the offense of the cross is that Jesus finished, finished doing everything, which needed to be done before God. There's nothing that we can do. There's certainly nothing that we can say. There's certainly nothing we can scribe or add to the Word of God that can change this. 
This is offensive to the natural unsaved man who wants to take some credit out of what Jesus did. Taking credit for any aspect of the cross is by saying or doing anything that says that Jesus is a liar. And the way you tell Jesus that he is a liar, listeners, please listen carefully, 602-292-2982. By the way, that's working really well online. Text me, call me. The only way that you can effectively take credit for the cross is by calling Jesus a liar and say his finished work is truly not finished. Either it's finished or it's not finished. So people who use self-effort to add to what the cross has already done by continuing to do the works to get things done are calling Jesus a liar. And people who do that over and over and over, I really do have to ask the question, and so do you, is if, are you saved? Or is the person that you have in your mind right now who's constantly adding to the work of the cross, are they saved? And yes, you can be saved, have the indwelling life of Jesus Christ, and continue to add to the cross. I, too, fall into that group. And probably most of you do, too. Now, this is the third week we've been hitting this term finished, 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 finished. Someone please tell me the definition, even from Daniel Webster, what finished means. Well, what does it mean to be complete? There is no more that you can add to it to make it any better. Okay, so Mary comes in and she stains the outside of our of our church and she does all the the painting and she comes in and she says to me, Pastor, the church painting is finished. Now what should I expect when I walk out and inspect her work? To believe her and say, yes, Mary, you are finished. Thank you. Now that's what Christ did. He went and accomplished a work. And he went to his father, said this to his father. It is finished. And then he said something after that. Father, I commence. Or I give you my spirit. So following it is finished is death. And the death is what seals the finished work. In other words, I'm not coming back to do more. Death will separate me from what I've had to go through up to this point. To say it is finished. Death has always been a seal. One way or another. 
There is no basis for any human pride in performance when we, when we simply receive by faith what Christ did and what he does. The death of Jesus on the cross and the uh, subsequent availability of the divine life, which is the eternal indwelling life of Christ, to all of mankind who have been selected or elected by the Father which we'll talk about more later. This whole, this whole scenario of the finished work is the sole basis of having, being able to have a right relationship, a pure relationship, an identity relationship with God the Father again. His whole focus was God the Father and fulfilling, completing everything he laid out. In the Old Testament, it was to bring it to a conclusion, to open the passageway for a new life. So here's some of the questions that we need to take a look at. What is the difference between religion and the cross? Some translations even use religion or religious beliefs and somehow get that associated with true Christianity. Religion is the beliefs of a region. That's it. That's what it is. And it's usually territorial. What people believe almost always is associated with territory. When you talk to a farmer, they are their dirt. Their land is their identity. When you talk to Israel, their land is their identity. When you talk to God about the book of Revelation, the land of Israel is his identity. When you talk to Jesus, the land is his identity. In studying the book of Revelation, the whole thing is about this little piece of land that for some reason nations all over the world are fighting over. And if you, if you just capture how small Israel is compared to this tiny globe, because it is tiny, it's a speck, barely, in the foresight of God, the universe. And to think that the entire universe, worldview of the living God focuses around this little piece of land, you'll understand what I'm saying. People do not realize this, but Jerusalem is the capital city of the entire worldview of God. He is literally going to bring the new Jerusalem out of the sky and it's going to be a 1,500 square mile block. It's going to come out of the heavens. And it's not going to touch this defiled earth. And it's going to kind of like, like some of our movies depict as a spacecraft hovering over the earth. Which is the reason I believe that Satan produces movies about aliens. Because when it happens... That's what the world's going to think. 
If you can imagine standing underneath a 1,500 square mile object, it is mind-bending. That's the New Jerusalem. And that is the capital city of the entire worldview of God. So territory is what it's about. Religion is a, barely a speck of the true worldview of God. So the religion of Hindus, the religion of Satanists, the religion of Muslims, the religion of whatever. The honest thing about the Quran, the more I read it over and over, the term religion and religious prophets, teachers, is used most frequently. And that's honesty to me. They know they're about territory. And it's a cult. Sure. Cultures is dominance over territory. So it all makes sense. But to try to tie that in with true into what Christianity, there is no religious thought, principle, or deed within the power of the cross. So what does the finished work of Christ have to do with reconciliation? We need to talk about that. Have you ever forgiven someone and then the next day you bring it up again? I particularly have never done that. Six zero two, two nine two. 2982. The power of reconciliation is so final, final, that when Christ chooses to forgive someone through you, I hope you caught that. You have no power to forgive someone yourself. Have you ever heard someone say, you know, I, I really learned to forgive my abuser, but I have to learn to forgive, I have to embrace or I have to forgive myself. Do you, now listen, listeners, very carefully, because here is exactly what you're saying. And please make use of that cell phone number because I really would love to discuss this with you. This is at the core of true Christianity, what I'm about to say. It's at the core. There's only one ministry that is told to us to be in. And that's the ministry of reconciliation. There's no ministry of music. It's not in the Bible. There's no ministry of children's ministry. These are names and titles we have made up to coat the church with a sweet candy coating of fakeness. And we have come to believe they are traditional parts of the church. Everything every indwell believer is and should be doing should be based upon the ministry of reconciliation. So here it is. Someone who says, I just have to forgive myself. They're actually saying, 
I just have to be Christ. You see, there will be many antichrists in the end times. And some of you listeners, you are antichrists. Antichrist is anyone who pretends themselves to be Christ. And anyone who adds to the finished work of the cross, stay with me on this, anyone who adds to the finished work of the cross is acting as an antichrist. They're adding to the additional work. They're adding as they are additional work to the cross. Now, out of any statement principle I have shared in this entire series that's taken us over two years, that should be a pivotal statement. You should either be wrestling with that or it should be a golden key that just unlocked your heart. There are so many antichrists listening right now, it is ridiculous. You've never referred to yourself as an antichrist because you have viewed antichrist as some kind of cult leader that is somewhere in the world fighting for something. And the truth is, is anyone who adds to the cross is either acting as an antichrist or they are one. And if you're an indwell believer, you can only act as an antichrist. But if you are not an indwell believer, you actually are one. So we need to talk about the finality of reconciliation. And the simplicity that is when I asked you, have you ever forgiven someone and then the next day you bring it up again or next month you bring it up again or two years later you bring it up again, you are saying the final work of the cross is not final. When the scriptures tell us not to bring up someone's sin again and we do it, we are making that claim that the final work of the cross is not finished. We need to add to it. We need to develop it. We need to hold someone accountable to it. Instead of saying, it is done. So those of you who say, as I got a message from a dear, a dear friend who's going through our online study, that you need to learn to forgive yourself. Give it up. Because you have no power to forgive yourself. Christ is not even going to forgive you. Jesus Christ already forgave you when he said it is finished to his Father. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It is already done. So those of you who think that you have to ask for forgiveness every day, know this. It's already done. Why are you asking for something that's already done? Are you asking him to re-crucify himself as Paul referred to? It's done. So therefore, when you do choose to sin, you claim the existing forgiveness that has been finished. 
So it's not like you ignore your sin. So what does it mean to be an enemy of the cross? What is the finished work of the cross? What is up to what is up with the term co-crucifixion label? What does it mean to have the old man crucified? And our final question is what is the great exchange really about? Here's a diagram I want you to take a look at before we get into our definitions. This is our death to life diagram. It's actually out of the workbook that some of you have gone through or are going through on identity matters. This is out of the problem section. And so what we have in front of us is a cone leading to the cross and a cone leading away from the cross. And the pathway through the cross is this eye of the needle that Jesus referred to. It is not a large pathway. There's not a lot of people that get through it. You can't rush this door. You can't. There's a lot that has to happen before you can get through the eye of this needle. So those of you who are accumulating a great deal of wealth, whether that wealth is physical, psychological, or you think spiritual adding to the power of the cross, you're not going to make it. You know, it's easier to get, what's the, Jesus say to the rich man? It's easier to stuff a camel through this passageway than it is to get a man who is accumulating great things, thinking somehow that if I bury these things with me, they're going to go on with me in eternity. What culture did that? Egypt. Egypt. It's a Babylonian practice. There's a new religion to some people today, but it's one of the oldest in the entire world, and that's the Muslims. And they believe they have to slaughter a certain amount of people in order to receive, take with them their treasures that will be reintroduced to them on the other side. Like eight virgins or 18 virgin, virgins or, you know, they have these little reward things. So everything they're doing on this side is contributing to what they believe they're going to get on the other side. Muslims listen very carefully to this statement. You're going to hell. You're going to get on the other side thinking that all the stuff they pressured you to do is that you're going to actually get all of these rewards. But I'm here to tell you the definition of hell is there are no rewards for your performance. That would be a 602-292-2982 because this is a horrific portion of of why Muslims do what they do to hurt people. Because hurting people actually gives you rewards. Taking off toes and fingers. This is in the Quran. Hating Jews and Christians. It's in the Quran. 
plucking out eyeballs is in the Quran, cutting off their heads a little at a time as they tell their story. I have a video of one of our workers. I still have not been able to get all the way through it. Gives them rewards. But you're going to have a very, very sobering wake-up call when you take your last breath and when you say, it is finished. I am finished. How many times a day do some of you listeners say, I'm done with this? I am finished with this. It is a very common phrase humans use. I'm done with this. I'm done with you. I'm finished with you. You are spiritually saying to them, I divorce you. I am done with you. And what you're basically saying is that person, husband or wife or brother or sister or, or stranger, is you're saying to them is, you have not pleased me. And you, not, you, you have no ability to continue to please me or be my savior. I'm done with you. It's idolatry. I say it in my despairing moments. I'm done with this, Lord. And he comes along and says, no, I kind of already finished that. So why do you expect something else? So the process of getting to this eye of the needle in the cross, God uses the world, he uses Satan, and he uses your flesh. And then the Holy Spirit has this hand that just slowly pushes the meat through the meat grinder. You ever seen a meat grinder in action where you push down on that lever and it's forcing the meat through the grinder and it comes out hamburger? In fact, there is an illustration that we use nowadays about feeling like we're chewed up like hamburger. That's the Holy Spirit applying pressure. That is the job of the Holy Spirit is to move people to the power moment of the cross. And some just won't go through. So it's not like the Holy Spirit selects just a handful of people. The Holy Spirit does this in all people's lives, but there are certain people that simply jump ship. So it gets harder the closer you get to the eye of that needle. The eye that's in the cross. So you can say, not I, but Christ. The old man, the Adamic nature, the old self, anything of the old identity, the old eye, has to stay on this side of the cross. And as you pass through the eye of the needle, the old self, the Adamic nature, the old way, everything of the old is on this side of the cross. It's finished. Everything on the new side right side of the cross, the righteousness side of the cross, is in and through the life and light of Jesus Christ. So the enemy goes, well, 
I've got to convince these people that everything that was over here is in them over here. And the weakness that humans have that gives the enemy permission to bring in this deception. And that is through the five senses. What you see, what you smell, what you taste, what you feel, those things is what the enemy uses to appeal to the flesh that is inside every cell of your body. And that's sin. The sin that is in you, that is not you. And that's what Paul said. For when he does choose to sin, he says, it is not I who is sinning, but how does the rest of the verse go? It is sin that dwells within me. The consequences of this Adamic old nature, old self, old man, all of that old stuff still remains in our mortal body. And that's why when we die, two parts of our triunit of man go on to eternal life. Our soul, mind, will, and emotions, and our spirit, which is Christ's spirit. But our body stays in the casket and deteriorates, grows long fingernails and long hair. And then we're given something on the other side. What is it? A new body. The triunit of man is all brought back to perfection. Okay, that's the simplicity of the gospel. Even if you look at this cross as the pathway into living the eternal life in the new, new earth, new heavens and whatever for eternity, everything on the old side is going to stay on the left side of the cross. And that is the true definition of a liberal. A leftist. I think it's the most liberal, not in freedom, liberal as in non-conservative view of Christianity is they're on the left side of the cross. They're adding to the cross or not adding to the cross or taking away from the cross. <coughs> Any questions about this diagram? Next slide tells us at the cross, it is not a religion. Religion and its works, programs, have been exposed as frauds by the finished work of the cross. Someone give me just a classic example in the church of something we do that says the finished work of the cross is a lie. And we need to add to it. Confession. Confession. Catholic Church as it is. Yeah. Okay. Someone give me the Protestant version of confession. The Catholic version of confession is you go to this priest and you confess your sins in this little closet and the priest makes a decision whether... You're going to be forgiven. And if you are forgiven, they they ask you to go do something. What is it? Penance. Well, it's called penance. Which is? Mm -hmm. Four hard 
our four our fathers, three the Hail Marys. Yeah, over the next five hours, seven times a day, or an hour to, you know, whatever. Or They're literally setting the people up to add to the cross. And the Protestant version would be what? Or confessing your sin every day before you go to bed. God forbid if you die while there's unconfessed sin inside of your mortal body. Got news for you. Sin lives in your mortal body. It'll die in your mortal body. It'll never leave your mortal body because it's going to stay in the grave and it will remain in the earth that got cursed because of a decision made by Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve did not get cursed. And those of you who teach that and preach that, you need to understand that's a lie. The earth got cursed. But man did have to bear the consequences of their decision. And that was what our scripture was about today out of Galatians 6. Paul explains that the religious try to compel, this is a quote, try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ, Galatians 6.12. See, this started, yes. Um, I was struck by the beginning of that verse because it says, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh, and then it says the rest of that verse, yeah. try to compel you. And it's for the sake, I looked up the Greek, and it's a contrast between appearance and their reality. So they want to look good. And that is our greatest error that we suffer with, is to present a testimony that does not exist. If, you, if you're with me on this, whenever you use the term testimony, you're using the term gospel. When I give my testimony, I'm giving you the gospel. If I don't give you my testimony, I am refusing to give you the gospel. If I don't give you the gospel, I am ashamed of Jesus Christ. And Jesus made it clear what he's going to do with people who are ashamed of him. You think you have proof for your salvation already? To that I say we'll see. Because those who endure to the end, those shall be saved. It's not a checkbox of what you have to survive to get salvation. It is a bearing witness of what is and has been true about you in your walk in Christ. They do not want to be persecuted or mocked by other religious people for preaching the grace of God in the activity of Jesus Christ alone. I mean, that is really... At the crux of all this, the crucifixion of this, is to avoid rejection. So therefore, everyone likes them, and they go to hell. Oh, how happy is that? You actually die a popular person, and you go to hell. What, what, what gain is that? What credit is that? That there was 2,000 people at your funeral and you go to hell. 
What value is there in that? Versus someone who dies, and there's three people at the foot of the cross who actually are willing to step out and say, I'm related to this guy. I love this guy. And where were the rest of the supporters of Jesus' church? Oh, God only knows where they were hiding. Because they did not want to be associated with the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Paul then declares out of Galatians 6.14, May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Boasting of co-crucifixion, if you want to use that term. Boasting of, of the death and what that death did. For and with us. So the cross, next slide shows us that the cross reconciles us to the Father, not to Jesus Christ. That's just one of the benefits. So Christ's finished work reconciles both the Jews and the Gentiles into a new creation, a new humanity, a new body through the cross. Right now the body that has been given to us is the body of Christ. So to think that Christians in communities are surviving and protecting their own little fellowships is evidence to me that they're not a part of the real fellowship. I'll say it again. When you're in a community where you have true indwelt believers in buildings scattered throughout your community and you are privatizing or hanging on to your little group and protecting this little group and refuse to go arm in arm with other indwelt believers in the community, you're not of the true fellowship of Jesus Christ. I know that because it says it. As someone said to me yesterday, there's coming a day where the lines will get blurred between denominations. We're already there. I'm going to know the true indwelt believers that are in the Methodist church and in the Presbyterian church and the contemporary church down the street and in the Baptist church. I want to know you true believers who have the indwelling life of Christ. And I want to get to know you as my brother and sister in spite of the, the calling card that you carry. If you can't do that because of wars and rumors of wars, I don't want to visit with you. You see, that kind of thinking destroys the true body of Christ. The true body of Christ is to demonstrate and illustrate what our final body is going to look like when we get on the other side. We're all going to look the same. If you think that there's going to be prettier people in heaven and uglier ones in heaven, you don't understand how this new body is going to work. You don't understand that the bride of Christ is going to look like one woman. But you see, enemy uses diversity and uniqueness to preserve his deception of separation. And it works in this community, and it works in every community around the world. I just find it absolutely humorous that Satan is classified 
as beautiful. And Jesus was classified as unbecoming in appearance. I just think it's humorous, Lord. That the very beauty that we put such an emphasis on through, through working with our bodies and facelifts and body lifts and, and makeup and the list goes on and on and on that is a part of our culture today to hide behind, as Janie just read in the first half of this verse, and that's to put on a show. Why? So you can't really see that they're liars. Because they're hiding behind beauty instead of the honesty of our vulnerability. Reconciliation, peace, restoration of all things. This restoration... And what I mean by the term of the elect man is that God already knows who's going to refuse him through Jesus and who is not. This predestination thing, we'll get to that term, but can be very confusing. But in reality, it's not. If you look at it from a God who sees everything in in advance. The cross, the enemies of crucifixion. Paul decries that there are many who, in quote now, are enemies of the cross, Philippians 3.18. Who in your mind right now as you're thinking, going through this message, would be the enemy of the cross? That's what religions do. So the only passageway to the Father is, according to Scripture, what? Jesus Christ. And and the cross itself was a significant, if not the most significant part of Jesus' life to provide the doorway. The true enemies of the cross are those who add to the finished work of Christ. We all do it. I've never met anyone who doesn't do it. Our flesh, write this down and underline it, Our flesh is the true enemy of the cross. And everyone has flesh. Your most famous indwelt Christian, your most famous wannabe Christian, your most famous person who's going to hell in a handbasket, everyone has flesh. And it is our flesh that is the greatest enemy of the cross. The theological significance of the cross must be understood Within the context of the finished work of God in Christ Jesus, though the cross itself was but the death instrument, it was there that Jesus victoriously proclaimed it is finished. Be the corrective action of replacement, death leads directly to the restorative action of God's life inside the indwelled Christian. So this restoration that got finished up on the cross, got put inside the indwelt believer. So when someone hurts you, you are giving them Christ's forgiveness, finished work. So when you look at that person and say, Christ has already forgiven you. If they're not a saved person, and many times we need to make that distinction, you have to tell them, as an unbeliever, someone who doesn't have the Spirit of Christ living inside you, 
Forgiveness is available to you, but you cannot appropriate that forgiveness until you go through the passageway of the cross. So when you set someone down, say, could you please explain an unsaved person versus a saved person? If you just say, well, the saved person has the spirit of God living them, I want to know, well, how does that person get there? What have they got to go through? What, what, what's this process? That's why that diagram is so critical in showing that. Can you imagine the people who are just about ready to go through that passageway of the cross? They got all the Christianese down. They're attending church. They're, they may have even written a devotional or two about it. They use so much of what they see as the power of the cross that they never enter. Because they got the terminology down. They got the sitting in the pew down. They got going to the social events down. They got going saying that they are Christians. They have all that down and they're just not through the cross yet. So how we talk to these people is critical. But did you go through the cross? Well, what do you mean by that? Explain it to me. Explain your passageway through the cross. Explain it to me. Well, I can't. Really? But dude, you got the dictionary down. Congratulations. You'll go to hell understanding the terminology of Christianity, but I'm not quite sure that it's the terminology of Christianity that's going to get you saved. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. The pathway of the cross. Yeah, I know I'll get a couple emails on that because I do get accused of taking the scriptures too literal. Like... The only way to God the Father is through Jesus. There are more that don't go through the eye of the needle. And by the time they get to that death moment, they go to hell. Everyone's in the funnel. Everyone is being moved to the moment of death. There is no third element of life. You are being pushed by life circumstances and the Holy Spirit to this point of what are you going to do with this decision of life or death. And the absolute best is to have someone at that doorway of death and to think that they can calculate all the things they've added to the cross. I attended church for 38 years I could uh, quote you chapters out of the Bible, and they go down this list, and their families reinforced it, and the communities reinforced it, and they are going to hell educated on Christianity. That saddens me. I live across the street from a funeral home. There is not one funeral I've seen yet that I do not become burdened with who is in there who's been lied to and cheated by the church to think that they are Christians and they went to hell 
because the church has lied to them. Family is reinforced that they're good people. Good people go to hell all day long, all over the world. And good people are people who add to the cross. Never assume someone is saved. It is the Spirit who bears witness with that. We need to listen, watch, and always be aware that they might not quite understand the passageway. A four-year-old testimony means nothing to me. Absolutely nothing. Ian saying that was his doorway to the cross. But that is not what I've been asked to watch for. I've been asked to watch for his love, his deeds. You shall know them by their love, know them by their deeds, know them by their fruit, and those who endure to the end shall be saved. That's what I will watch for in Ian. Because at 35 years of age, he may turn on Christ and not even feel a glitch of guilt. No, that never happens with people who say they've been saved. It happens more than the other. Betrayal of Jesus. So never assume. Never do the locked and loaded thing. I cannot walk away from Ian's testimony today and go, oh, thank God, you know, I don't have Ian to worry, worry about. Ian still functions to a certain degree off of getting paid for religious things. Do you see what I'm saying? He's a young man. It doesn't mean I can judge him either way. It just means as a grandson, which is what he is to me, I'm going to watch him very closely. Encourage him, because it's not my job to determine if he's saved. It's my job to encourage him about salvation and all that he does. It's very cool stuff. The next slide is about co-crucifixion too, and this is kind of a new revelation to me by, by our resident theologian, and that is the idea, and I appreciate what, what Jim says on this, but that the term itself, co-crucifixion, kind of, this has kind of bothered me all my adult life as well, is that I don't remember being on the cross with him. So the term co-crucifixion has got a lot of additive things on it that are not in Scripture. And Jim does make that clear in his writings, and I agree with him on that. But the term co-crucifixion has been very comfortable for those of us who teach not I but Christ because it communicates co-death, burial, and resurrection with Jesus. What we have to remember here about co-crucifixion, it is that it is our identity that got crucified with Christ. It is our old nature. It is the, it's the whole idea of the old that has been crucified with Christ. So that's why on my, my uh, picture that I, that I sketched out, it's a shadow man. It's not a picture of me. It is everyone's flesh. Now, some people don't go to the cross. 
So therefore, their shadow man stays with them. It's the shadow man that sends them to hell. Are you with me? The old man is the reflective mirror image of Satan. So when Satan stands in front of an unsaved person, he is seeing himself. When Christ stands in front of a true indwelt believer, Christ is seeing the image of himself. That image is in the spiritual part of man. So what actually got crucified was the Adamic, dark, fleshly, old man. Some keep it united with their spirits, their, their mind, will, and emotions or soul. Stays in the body. They die. And that's what sends them to hell. Others decide through Christ Jesus, I'm going through the eye of the needle. And as they go through that eye of the needle, all of that old stays on the left side of the cross. No more a liberal for Christ. You are a instrument of Jesus Christ. Any questions about the co-crucifixion? Even though you have this written on your paper, of course, our listeners, hopefully you know that you can click on that PDF icon next to the microphone and literally print off these slides. Those of you who are preaching from these slides, as I get reminded of fairly regularly, I uh, just want you to know that we really deeply appreciate you doing that. These are truths that must be taught in the villages, in the bushes, or from great cathedrals of not I, but Christ. So now when we look at the old man, as Paul writes often using the term old man, the old man has been crucified together with Christ. The destination, designation of old man signifies our spiritual identity when we were a man of old. And our old spiritual condition of unregeneracy, which means that the generator is unplugged, or our identity. Our pre-indwelt identity was that of a natural man, according to 1 Corinthians 2.14. A child of the wrath. Is that the wrath of Satan? No, it's a child of the wrath of God. Even though Satan does have wrath for you. And that comes out of Ephesians 2.3. So the old man, or the old man identity, was laid aside as you go through this pathway of the cross. We have to mentally be reminded of that, Colossians chapter 3. We have to mentally be reminded of that, a work that was already finished and completed on the cross. So when he says, set aside your old self... He's talking about set aside this old thinking, set aside this old identity functioning, because it's not who you are today. And that's the point of co-crucifixion. The old spiritual identity of the unregenerate self is forever dead, having died with Jesus and now have a new spiritual identity. And of course, that identity is the very identity that Jesus has. Where'd he get it? His father. 
his father. He carries the identity of his father. Now, here's what we're going to do next week. We're going to continue to address the, the whole idea of adding to the cross, of course, because that's the significant piece of not being able to embrace it. But we need to begin to unfold the power element, the power results of the crucifixion of Christ, how that now ties in with co-crucifixion or the death of the old identity, and what does it really look like in our daily function of functioning in our identity in Christ. And I don't know anyone in this room or any of our listeners. Well, I probably do know a few who truly behaviorally are carrying out what it looks like to be dead to our old identity and alive to our new identity. It is the struggle. This is where the rubber hits the road. So here's our identity statement for today. The finished work of God in Christ must not be considered only with a theological mindset. Christ's activity uh, will of necessity affect us personally and subjectively, emotionally. There are so many people that put an emphasis on our emotions that we think we need to be delivered from them. Emotions support what you believe. So the only scriptures you can present to me at 602-292-2982, and that is the scriptures of renewed mind. There are no scriptures anywhere in the Old Testament or New Testament that talk about renewal of emotions. This whole healing of damaged emotions that I heard about this week is a fallacy. It's a lie. There's no healing in your emotions to be done. Your emotions are nothing more or less than hormones. It's your belief system. So when we say mind, will, and emotions, your emotions is literally the beautiful design of God's emotive energy that he is able to provide inside your body that supports what you believe. So when I say I believe that Christ lives in me and I get excited about that, it's my body all coming together and working and supporting what I believe. So if my beliefs are out of place, God wants to renew my mind. Because my emotions are going to get excited about whatever. Whatever. I know people that get excited about killing people. See, it doesn't. your emotions don't matter. It will always support what you believe. Renewal of mind is critical. Though this might all be regarded as the theological significance of the cross, it is being separated under the different heading of emphasis on subjective elements of his death and life in the indwelt Christian by referring to spiritual identification with the cross. You talk about your identity in Christ subjectively, personally, emotionally, you will get excited about it. Well, it works the other way. If you get excited about it, you, and then you have one of those defeating days where you're walking after your flesh all day long, it will work the other way too. 
you failure, you don't believe this stuff, you, 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 you. Whenever you hear the you, 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 you better know it's the enemy. He's an accuser of the brethren. Instead of self-talk going, boy, Finney, what a stupid decision. Just follow Jesus. You see, that's different than you, 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 you. Satan is into removing us from the truth. That sets us free. The spiritual unity he provides becomes effective for us individually and emotionally when we receive by faith the completed death and life that God literally brings out into our lives, affects and infects our entire being through Christ, of course. And that is the great spiritual exchange. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.